Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, thanks for joining me here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason, and we've got a great topic for you today. It's about production and promotion. Okay, that's what we're going to be talking about. If you build it, they will come, right? That's the old thing from Field of Dreams. But if you produce it, will they come to the trough? The discussion that we're going to have today about the mix and them sometimes the challenge in the business of agriculture where we got production on one side and we got promotion or just consumer trends on the other. The business of agriculture, before we go any further, is sponsored by Harvest Profit. My buddy Nick Horb founded Harvest Profit. It's a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. If you have an agricultural business, which you do, you might need software to manage all of your inputs, all of your costs, all of your outflows, the farms you have, where the money is going. Listen, man, it's tight out there. Why not have the right tools? If you needed a tool in your shop to do what you need to do to to fix the equipment, by golly, you'd have the right tool. Why don't you have that in your office to run your business? That's Harvest Profit. Go to harvestprofit.com. Tell them Damian Mason sent you there and say hi to my man, Nick Horb. This episode of the Business of Agriculture, like so many since the beginning of year 2020, is not just a audio, it's also a video. So please go to the Damian Mason channel. That's at uh, on YouTube, Damian Mason channel, and subscribe. It won't cost you anything. It'll help my visibility. I really would appreciate it because more people need to see the messaging we're putting out there for folks in the business of agriculture, as well as those uh, who are not within the business but use this as a resource to understand the business of food, fuel, and fiber. Okay, if you build it, they will come. This is kind of an agricultural mentality, if you will. Now, I'll admit, I never saw the movie. I think it came out like in the early 90s, Field of Dreams. I'm not particularly into baseball movies, uh, although Bad News Bears was kind of funny, and Major League is certainly good, so maybe I am into baseball movies. But I never saw Field of Dreams. I've seen a few snippets of it. But I understand the concept. Kevin Costner goes out to some Iowa cornfield and builds a field, and then ghosts come out of the cornfield and play corn, something like this. Okay. So speaking of corn, speaking of Iowa, speaking of all of that, we tend to think that way in the business of agriculture, or at least we always have, meaning for most of our existence. We produce this product, and the consumer is hungry and is going to come up and eat it. Well, we know that that began to change starting about 100 years ago. Because we had promote, we had we had surpluses for the first time ever, starting in the you know 1920s, 30s here in the United States of America, places that were affluent, well produced countries that have agricultural technology. We started to see something we'd never seen before: too much of stuff, too much of agricultural commodities. In 1966. Uh, was the very first uh, attempt by agricultural organizations to market their product in a sort of collective fashion. Now, we had seen cooperatives before, but that, again, is for grain storage or how to sell or work as a buying cooperative or, or find market forces to sell more of our grain and not get taken advantage of. That was the cooperative system, right? So we started doing something like that on promotion of our commodities in the 1960s the Agricultural Marketing Services came about. There was a checkoff program. 
So it was called the checkoff program, I am told, because back in the day, farmers had the uh, ability to check off a box and say, yes, withhold money from my check from my sale of crop or product and use it for marketing and promotion purposes. So that's what we're talking about going back. These programs really took off in the 70s and particularly in the 80s and since then. And right now there are 21 or 22, depending on which USDA uh, site you go to, 21 or 22 programs, I'm sorry, uh, organizations that are marketing agricultural commodities from avocados to blueberries to honey to milk to beef to eggs to lamb to Christmas trees. So what we got to look at now in our time together is we're darn good at production. That's the thing you always hear me talk about. And and people say, Damien, you're always talking about niche products and, and diversification. But you know what? I just want to grow corn and soybeans. Well, that's fine. Except that it is a pure commodity play, and when you are going to be a corn and soybean producer five years from now, ten years from now, if you're not niched, you have a couple of choices. Get huge so that you have commodity scale so that you can operate in a, in a huge and a huge commodity production mindset where you just buy stuff as cheap as possible, produce stuff as cheap as possible, and then take the little bit of margins you're going to get. That's how commodities are, from coal to cotton to anything. It's really always been that way. It favors huge scale. Or you're going to have to diversify into some sort of a niche. So commodity marketing... Uh, really came about with the checkoff programs when they said, hey, we got to probably admit here, uh, beef is beef. Uh, cotton's cotton, peanuts are peanuts. Oh, sure, there's all the different kinds. But they said, no, we're just going to promote and, and uh, do research and education on selling these things. So that's how the whole checkoff programs have worked. So what I'm saying is, I'm glad that my friends in agriculture have known for 30, 40, 50 years the need to do promotion. However, is it being done right or could it be done better? And I know that we're probably going to step on some toes because many of the people that keep up with me are paying into or even members of some of these organizations. So I'm going to give you what I see from a marketing perspective, from an entrepreneurial perspective, where we miss the mark on selling our products or marketing or promotion. So that's kind of what we're doing here now. The the uh, groups, like I said, are from almonds to, to avocados and uh, all you know most of the proteins and whatnot. So there's a lot of money that comes in. Uh, one website says it's $750 million. Another one says it's $900 million. And this is the monies that are taken out of a farmer or producer. If you sell a live steer, uh, there's $1 taken out of your check. If you sell 100 pounds of milk, 15 cents is taken out. Uh, it's like two and a half cents per pounds of avocado. And it's, it goes, of course, with everything. It's a small portion of what your, uh, what your input is. And then there's a small portion taken out. So these organizations are backed up, or shall we say regulated, by the United States Department of Agriculture. In other words, you can't just go and start one of these and have the backing. It could be voluntary. You and seven of your neighbors could start a marketing campaign for... Uh, you know, rangeline road uh, beef producers, and 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 you would not have to go through this. But if you want to do it through the federal channels and have the checkoff thing where it's mandatory, because that's the thing, it's no longer that you check the box. Checkoff programs, as they're called, are not voluntary; they are mandatory. And you've seen the campaigns, the incredible edible egg.
the the other white meat got milk beef it's what's for dinner uh cotton has one i kind of liked it i uh i, I cotton uh, from blue to green. There's another one in here too. Fabric of your life. Fabric of your life. I like that one a lot. Very clever. So you've seen these things. And so do they work? Well, that's the other part of this. We say, all right, we're business people, Damien. We get it. We know you always harp on us that all we focus on is production because generally agriculture people focus on production. How many gallons? How many pounds? How many bushels? Ha! Huh, that's what we do. We love production, but producing it Unlike that cornfield that Kevin Costner built doesn't mean that they're going to come out of the cornfield as ghosts and play baseball or, more importantly, come to the trough and buy your product. So generally, you always need the promotion. They taught me something back when I was in the lighting business 26 years ago when I was in the lighting fixture business. They said, are we going to be a business that tries to sell what we can make or are we going to make what we can sell? And that was never lost on me because it wasn't most people who thought that way. Most of the old rummies that were in the lighting business thought like, hey, you know what? We're real damn good at making 310Ps. It's a plastic trim for a recessed light fixture. So they just figured, let's go out and figure out a way to sell more recessed light fixtures and more of those. We're real good at making them. Yeah, well, the consumer doesn't want that. Doesn't matter. Tell them it's what they need. Well, they want white trims and not black trims because it flows better with the architecture. Yeah, but those white trims don't control the glare. Consumer doesn't care. Consumer wants white trims. And what did I hear again and again from the engineers? No, you got to sell them the black ones because that'll actually do what we, uh, it's what, it's how we designed them. Plus, that's, uh, that's what we're going to make it. Lost out on 40 or $50 million of market share because we wouldn't change the color of plastic on a light fixture. Just think about that. So, you're saying that's stupid. Well, in agriculture, are we also missing out on market share because sometimes we stick with what we know how to do and say, ah, I'm just going to sell them what we make. So the checkoff program was designed to, and it has to be, the monies that go into it have to be for the purposes of uh, education research, meaning I can educate the, I can, I can go around to schools and say, here, children, is why you should eat more peanuts. Um research, meaning I can put somebody in a lab and say, we just found a new use for honey. So instead of worrying about uh, just selling more honey for honey, there's this new use for it. You can uh, put it on your shoes, whatever the thing is. Education, research, and promotion. Now, <clears throat> it has been my observation, being around this business for 51 years, and having an entrepreneurial mindset and a salesperson mindset and a promotional mindset that while we're so good at the production, we focus on production, we think that things are promotion that are really not. So I'm going to bring you to the first, the first dilemma of marketing as we do it through our checkoff programs. We tend to staff up these organizations, these 22 organizations, we staff them up with politicians and dietitians. And I know someone's going to yell at me. And if you yell at me from the cotton council, I would understand because you're right. You're probably not hiring as many dietitians with the cotton uh, as you would with, say, the blueberry uh, organization. Dietitians, yes, to do some research, to put out menus, to talk about new ways to utilize your product. Yes, that's probably a good utilization of some of your resources. Now, how many times have you ever bought anything from a dietitian? I'm waiting. When's the last time you bought anything in your life from uh, anything from a dietitian? 
Did you even buy their dietary advice? Because generally people eat what they want to eat, eat what makes them feel good. And I don't mean feel like, oh, I'm going to run, run a marathon, like it just makes them happy. I'm not sure that dietitians are going to sell a product or move the needle on any of our agricultural products. Now let's talk about politicians. When you have an organization at the state, regional, or federal level that is inherently a bit a bit like a hierarchy and a bit like a it, it's not a production organization they don't make the widgets they're supposed to be researching educating and promoting the widgets usually these organizations tend to then find others within the industry that are in a bit of a political role and move the politician in there most notably and this is not invisible to our consumers. Here is a headline from the Washington Journal Sentinel. I'm sorry, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, top three dairy producing state, right? So they are not exactly happy uh, at the dairy producing state with some of what they see happening in their state with farms going out of business. Now, that's the economics of it. You've heard me discuss this. Uh, some dairy farms are just going to be scaled out because, again, it's a it's a commodity product, and if you're out here milking cows the way I did in 1982, it's probably going to be an issue. But the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has this, talking about a nonprofit that's supposed to promote dairy pays its leaders millions while the farmers who fund it are going out of business. And they're talking about Dairy Management, Inc. Now, most notably, when I talked about staffing up with politicians, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, under Obama, joined Dairy Management, Inc. in 2017. So, is he a dairy farm guy? I don't know. Does he know how to sell milk? Mm, I don't know. So, these organizations hire politicians believing they will help them with influence. Now, that might be true and that might help. But also, maybe they got their job because of their influence, not because of their ability to go out and sell more product using their influence. Case in point, Tom Vilsack makes almost $1 million a year to be on the Dairy Management, Inc., the program, the organization that is supposed to be out researching, educating, and promoting milk. He's a former politician. Has he ever sold anything, marketed anything, owned his own ad agency, ever been an entrepreneur? No, he's a politician. So there are a lot of politicians in these roles. Problem number one that I see from an outside perspective uh, with the organizations that are funded to help hire or promote and move our products is we use a lot of dietitians and politicians when instead we should probably look at ways to bring in entrepreneurial thinking promoters, salespeople to move our product. I'm going to get to the next several points. But before that, I'm going to tell you about my sponsor. That's uh, my good buddy, Nick Horb and Harvest Profit. I told you about HarvestProfit.com. He writes blog articles that you can use to apply to your own business. But if you have an ag enterprise that needs a software solution to help you keep the nuts and bolts all straight, to keep the dollars in and the dollars out figured out because it's a business, go to HarvestProfit.com, check him out and then get yourself a free 14-day trial. You can use their product for 14 days. You also should follow Nick Horob, H-O-R-O-B, on LinkedIn. Okay, so second problem that I see with the, uh, the, the marketing that we do, because again, we produce great stuff, and we've got to then figure out how to move it, how to spend, that, how to spend our money that is now coming out of the paychecks to get some bang for the buck. Secondly, 
If I was in sales, as I was with Cooper Industries, we knew what my numbers looked like. We knew what my numbers looked like. We know what uh, how many light fixtures we sold of each product and type in my territory. We knew what the volume was like, and you know, sometimes we even knew what kind of margins they were at because some places are getting a little better deal than others, and you know, it's easy to fire sales stuff, but you don't make any money at it. Are we doing that with our investment at the agricultural level that comes out of our checks? And so I think we should really look at what is the ROI. And this is tough, I will admit, this is tough because trends and marketplace fads and then even external events, coronavirus uh, and grocery stores running out of stuff are going to change your sales. But have we really ever looked at them over all the years that we've been doing this stuff about the ROI and the accountability and what the salesmanship looks like for the money we're putting into these programs? Now, one thing, the beef, uh, beef uh, website, you know, check off beef, it's what's for dinner. They quote a person, a professor from Cornell University that says for every $1 invested through the beef checkoff program, they yield $11.20 of return. I believe that these things are difficult to calculate. How did one do that? Was it based purely on sales? Was it based on positive um, impressions by people that are consumers at the meat counter with American beef? What are we saying that return was? What was that $11.20 return on $1 investment based on? I'm not saying that anybody's lying. I'm saying that these numbers become more difficult to punch out and calculate than sometimes we, we want to hear. You hear this also. Oh, we need to buy a new stadium for the Colts in Indianapolis. I said, well, why? I don't want to pay for that. Some billionaire to pay eight football games down there? I love football, but it ain't for me to pay for their stadium. But you didn't think about the economic impact that that football stadium is going to have. And then they run some numbers and they quote a professor from Indiana University and all of a sudden we're paying a billion dollars for the stadium. I question some of that because it is difficult to follow through. There's so many different chains that we're talking about there. Number three thing, and again, let's talk about the fads because that's the other thing that do hop into this, that it's, it's, um, it's difficult, it's difficult to track this. Let's look at eggs. You've heard the story, I mean, sorry, the statement, the incredible edible egg. It's a neat thing, begun by, of course, the American Egg Board, which is a consortium of all the uh, egg farmers, which there's not a lot of. It's a very consolidated industry. American Egg Board came up with that slogan in 1976. You'd say, and I know that slogan, incredible edible egg, love it. Did it sell eggs? Well, sometimes there's external forces that dictate egg sales and every other food sale a heck of a lot more than a clever slogan. In 1976, it was a neat thing to do. And the egg industry needed some consolidation, needed a common effort, needed to have some cohesiveness. So they come together, they get an ad agency, they invent this whole thing, the incredible edible egg. But you know, we lost egg consumption from that very day. And even from before that, into the 1990s, egg consumption went clear down. We bottomed out around 230 eggs consumed per American per year. You're saying, I don't eat that many eggs. Well, yeah, you do. Remember, they're in other stuff you eat sometimes. It's not just like cracking one open and frying it on a skillet. Sometimes it's another stuff. We went down to 230 eggs consumed per American in the early 1990s. And then we said, wait a minute. I think this whole thing about egg beaters, cholesterol is a bunch of bunk. And starting in the early 2000s, we started eating eggs again. We're up to 280 eggs 
per American per year of consumption now. And you'd say, well, that's good. That's marketing. That's promotion. That's research and education. Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. Maybe folks just decided they wanted their eggs and they didn't give a damn anymore. And whether or not you called it the incredible edible egg didn't really matter because they were doing that and from 1976 until today. And what do we have? We have a big consumer change. We have a, f- a fad change. We have some different ideas on health and nutrition. And I don't know if you can say that's all because of the American Egg Board. Now, of course, the American Egg Board is going to say, yeah, well, during that time when we got the, went from 230 to 280, it's because we were out there educating the consumer. And we were also doing research that proved that this cholesterol thing is a bunch of untruths. Again, that's fantastic if that's the reason it happened. But sometimes there's forces that are greater than what our funding can do, and that's about what consumers want to do. Number three, I think that when I look at a lot of this as an ag guy, I find sources that our consumers never see. And that brings me to the third flaw that we sometimes do when it comes to selling our product. And I'm saying this also because if you are on the boards, if you are on the boards of any of these things, from National Corn Growers to Kentucky Soybean Association, think like this. Because what we must do to be successful is think like our consumers. Our consumers do not go to the Indiana Corn and Soy Alliance website. They just don't. They go to Facebook and they go to Twitter and they go to their kids' soccer games. And they will see our messaging if it is where they are. Remember, consumers don't look to find our messaging. They go where they look already and if it's there, they will see it. Does that make sense? I'm sure an Indiana Corn and Soy Alliance has been a group. They've, they've hired me. I love those people, good people. But if they have a website called Indiana Corn and Soy, I promise you none of the 7 million people in this state are going there to look at it. It's just not what consumers do. They look at stuff that benefits them. And if your message gets in the way between them and their what they're looking for, it'll get seen. If it's on the way, it'll get seen. If that billboard is where they are going already, they will see it. But they are not going to drive out of the way to come to your farm, to go into your barn, to look at your message and see that you have a milk or beef it's what's for dinner sticker hanging in the in your office. That's what we're talking about. Where is the messaging and is it going to where the consumers are? Which brings me to, you know, websites that no one goes to. Recipes on a website that nobody goes to are useless. So we need to get our message more to where the customer is. Number four, number four suggestion that I would give to anyone that is in the business of marketing and selling our products Because I'm always pointing out, let's lose the commodity mindset and become marketers. Let's go niche. Let's go this. Because we've already got the production thing handled. But if I'm going to sell anything, softwood lumber, they've got a checkoff program. Blueberries. Even, uh, what's the one I saw? Mangoes. I don't even know I've even eaten a mango. They've got a checkoff program. So if I need to sell more mangoes, you know one thing that I'm going to do? I'm going to stop promoting mangoes to mango farmers. You're saying, Damien, of course you are. Why would you do that? We do it all the time. In agriculture, it's our favorite thing to do. What we love to do is tell our producers how wonderful their product is. 
Potatoes, they've got a checkoff program. They've hired me. I've worked for potato people. They make really good potatoes, but they do not need to be told in Idaho or Washington State, hey, you know what you're really good at? Making potatoes. God, I love your potatoes. Your potatoes are the best. You're the best potatoes, the best potatoes, best potatoes. They already probably believe that. Let's go find people that eat potatoes and tell them. I made the point. Everyone I know that has a pro-milk dairy messaging magnet on their refrigerator is a dairy farmer. They probably don't need that promotional item. They're already vested in your product. So we need to get our messaging to the consumer, not to the producer. That's point number four. Number five, as I see it, as a marketing-minded entrepreneurial guy. And yes, you're saying, Damien, I forgot. Hey, wouldn't be me if I didn't promote myself right now. Do Business Better is my book about entrepreneurial business. Yes, I have pages marked in here. This is my desk copy that I reference. It's about running a business. And so I wrote this book for people like you that are business-minded. If you have not picked up your copy, it's available as a hardback, as an ebook, and as and through Audible. Uh, you have to buy the Audible on Amazon. You can buy hard copies from me at DamienMason.com. All right, well, we're talking about business. This is the point. Fifth thing, as I see it, from a marketing thing, if we want to sell more of our stuff, commodity, whatever. And again, if you're on the board of any of these organizations, don't be silent. And I'll tell you why. It's your money. It's your money that's being taken out of your paycheck. Be vocal. Be business-minded. Don't just go in there and squawk and bitch about how hard you work, you know, raising, raising cotton. Go in there and say, hey, I think we need to do this. And here's the points. A cohesive strategy that is consumer-oriented that actually brings together what other messaging is out there. We tend to have a lot of shooting from the hip. Well, we've got this thing going on, and we, uh, we've got uh, the dietitians went over there and talked about the value of uh, nectarines and uh, or almonds or pecans or whatever the commodity is. And then we've got uh, we got this person that's out here that uh, has a Twitter page, and we're going to uh, we're going to sponsor them. Well, what, what's what's the purpose? What's the strategy? Who are we trying to reach? You don't need activity until you have strategy. You know, think about that. Hey, I go to the gym every day. What do you do? Well, I, uh, I twiddle my thumbs. Uh, if someone tells you I go to the gym every day, I should have be getting results. You say, well, what are you doing when you go there? Well, I drive in there and I get all dressed up. I put on my workout clothes. Then I go over to one area and I go like this. And then I go to another area and I, uh, I drink water. And then I go, okay, wait, you did the work and you made some activity, but did you have a strategy? What about if you went in there and actually talked to a trainer? and said, what should I be doing to get results? And they said, we should start by warming up on the bicycle and ride a mile on the bike. And then we're gonna stretch because you're getting older. And then you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go to some weights and we're gonna work with, so we're going with a mid-level amount of weights and we're going to try and attain strength and bone density. And see, we just had a strategy. It wasn't just activity, it was strategy behind the activity. Same thing with what we do to sell a product. Is it cohesive? Is it consumer-oriented? Are we getting to the consumer where they actually already are? Are we asking them to come to us? Because guess what? They don't come to the, they don't come to the Ohio Mango Association.com to figure out why they should buy more mangoes. They're not going there. They're somewhere else, okay? Find them where they are. And then, of course, is there strategy behind the activity? And is it cohesive? 
Are you in Ohio with the Mango Board doing the same thing as the people in Oklahoma at some general level? So if I were going to be in the position of helping a commodity group move more product, I would work on sales and promotion as my helpers versus politicians and dietitians. I would make sure there's some degree of understanding of what the numbers look like. Again, when I was in sales, we knew what I sold. We knew what my territory did. We need to do a little better tracking and accountability of the people that we have that are making this money. Websites and promotion. That's nowhere that the consumer already is. That's number three problem. Number four, we promote to the producer instead of promoting to who can actually be a customer. The producer's already bought in. The producer already loves avocados. Go and sell avocados to Super Bowl party goers. That's who needs to buy more avocados. And then, of course, is your cohesive strategy consumer-oriented, and is it working in fluid conjunction with everybody so you're on the same page, and do you have a strategy beyond just the activity? Printing up bumper stickers and handing them out, I do it. I give away bumper stickers. You know that. If you've been in my audience, I, I give away bumper stickers as a cool thing. But if I was a marketing person, I would not just be throwing bumper stickers around until I said, wait a minute, that's cool, but who do these need to be in front of? Where is a person that might actually be our customer? Let's go to them first. Those are the marketing and commodity promotion things uh, flaws and room for improvement as I see them. I give you my top five. What brought this up? Well, I've got a new role and I wanted to make sure you knew about it here on the business of agriculture. In addition to speaking and writing books like my book, Food Fear, uh, my book about business of agriculture, Food Fear, uh, in addition to all that, I also have some other interests. I've got my farms and I've got some other things that I do, some consulting. Well, I've teamed up and um, I'm in a role right now that just began, just, just, just began, end of September, uh, with Georgia Milk, with the Georgia Milk producers. And a, I'm going to help them spend some of their money to get some more bang for their buck and sell some milk, to promote uh, the fluid milk for the dairy farmers of Georgia, to give them some visibility and to also help them move some gallons while also improving the impression and the visibility of their product. That's what we're out to do for them. So I uh, teamed up with an advertising and branding friend of mine and I'm bringing the ag side, he's bringing the branding side. So wish me luck on that. If I can help you in any way move or sell more of your product, uh, give me a call or send me an email, damien at damienmason.com. I also want to tell you about my new uh, my new launch called the Business of Agriculture Success Group. We're doing really well. We've got over two dozen people get together two Wednesdays per week on an online interactive forum. Uh, I send out the link. I put out the topics. We have guest speakers, and we talk about issues impacting the business of ag. It's a great development tool for your ag business. If you're an ag professional, you want to have a community of like-minded ag professionals that you can bounce ideas off of, glean insights, hear from smart speakers, look ahead, have intelligent dialogue, the Business of Agriculture Success Group. It's, it's $49 for the first month, $99 a month thereafter. So I'd love to have you join me. Please send me an email email if you're interested. So that's it. I want you to be brilliant. I want you to go out there and think about how we can sell more of our product. You know, if you build it, they will come. That's not true. If you produce it, there's no guarantee they're going to come to your, your table, come to your trough, come to your store, come to your commodity and buy it. 
Production does not create demand. Okay? Hunger creates demand. Desire creates demand. Me wanting more of what you make creates demand. Couple of thoughts for you also. Even promotion is no guarantee. Hass Avocado Commission, that's the Avocado Checkoff Program, is proud to say that avocado consumption, I wrote it down here, has tripled in 20 years, actually 19 years, has tripled. We're up to a little over eight pounds right now. Tripled avocado consumption. Is it because of the avocado marketing or is it because it just became popular or is it because demographically we have become a more Hispanic country than we were just 20 years ago and that is who eats more avocados? Not being mean, it's a true statement. We all know that, that certain uh, individuals and certain people from different backgrounds eat different stuff. It's probably a mixture of everything. It's probably a mixture of some good marketing. It's probably a mixture of some good timing. Let's talk about beef. We're hovering around 58 pounds of beef consumption per American per year right now. That's up from its low of the recession. 2013, 2014, we were about five pounds lower than that. But it's way off, way off of what it was when beef, it's what's for dinner, first aired. Beef, it's what's for dinner, first aired 30-some years ago. And you know what? We're eating about 20 pounds more beef per year then. So if it didn't help us sell more beef, what's the value? Well, maybe it kept us from eating less beef. So marketing and promotion is always a challenging situation. You always have the issue of demographics. You have the issue of recessionary economics versus uh, very good economics. You have the issue of health concerns. Somebody comes out with a new state, a new uh, study, and then that changes. And then you have the reality of fads and trends, which is why I put this out in my book. There's a lot of here about fear, but there's also a lot about fads and trends. So I encourage you to pick up this book also. I very much appreciate you joining me on this episode of the Business of Agriculture podcast. Drop me a line. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode that you'd like to see a subject covered, uh, you know I get great guests on here. Drop me a line and I'll, uh, I'll do what I can. Damian Mason, thanks for being here. Last reminder, this website or this uh, this podcast is sponsored by Harvest Profit. So please go to Harvest Profit and check them out. He's a great he's a great dude, Nick Horab. And he's got a good little company out of Fargo, North Dakota. He serves customers in 26 states and four provinces. It's a software solution that'll help you be more profitable. Harvestprofit.com. Till next time, thanks for being here. It's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.